The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, a new intellectual property treaty will make it easier to provide accessible books to people who are blind throughout the world. Welcome to ACB Reports for October 2013. In late June, an international treaty was agreed to by members of the World Intellectual Property Organization, known as WIPO. American Council of the Blind Executive Director Melanie Brunson was a participant in the proceedings which led to this important agreement. During the annual conference of the American Council of the Blind in July, Melanie introduced Justin Hughes, the head of the U.S. delegation, to the WIPO conference. He explained the significance of this major international achievement. The World Blind Union has been interested in this treaty potential for a number of years. And uh, we have been going mostly to Geneva, Switzerland, to the headquarters of the World Intellectual Property Organization, which we lovingly call WIPO. What we essentially do is observe the activities and the deliberations and the negotiations of the representatives of governments from around the world who come to do the actual hard work of trying to reach agreements. And we spend a lot of time talking with them behind the scenes. Very central to the work that took place in negotiating it was our own delegation from the United States. That delegation was headed by a gentleman who spends his time divided between teaching copyright law classes to law students and working at the United States Patent and Trademark Office. He's here to give you some information about the details of what was done and some information about what we need to do in this country to help bring the treaty into force. So please give a warm ACB welcome to the head of the U.S. WIPO delegation, Justin Hughes. Thank you, Melanie. I want you to know that Melanie uh, served as a very important sounding board for the U.S. government in this. She was very good at providing enormous amounts of input. New when conciliation was needed, new when compromise was needed, but also very good. I watched her push back many times against the other side in some of these talks with our different stakeholders. So uh, you really have a great executive director in Melanie, and I think we should give her a round of applause. The title of the treaty is the Marrakesh Treaty to Facilitate Access to Published Works for Persons Who Are Blind, Visually Impaired, or Otherwise Print Disabled. We are tremendously proud and tremendously happy to have achieved this result. We think we got a great result. We think we have a balanced treaty that is going to, over time, truly improve access for the visually impaired to books 
and at the same time is going to safeguard the copyright system, which we view as very important for the American economy. There was a tremendous amount of interagency work on this, and we had officials from the United States Patent and Trademark Office, which provides the president with advice and leadership on intellectual property issues, that's patents, trademarks, and copyrights. We had the Department of Education, the Department of Justice, the Institute of Museum and Library Services, which provided critical input on how libraries address the needs of the blind. Uh, We had the United States Trade Representative Office, the Department of State, of course, which provides actually the overall leadership on international organizations for the United States, and the Library of Congress's Copyright Office. And so it was a very elaborate interagency process, and it was almost as tough or sometimes tougher negotiating within the U.S. government as negotiating with other countries. Copyright secures to the author or whoever the author gives his or her rights to a set of exclusive rights over a work. Now, that work could be a music album, it could be a single song, it could be a book, it could be a newspaper article, it could be a computer program. But that set of exclusive rights includes the rights of reproduction and distribution of copies of the work. And it also includes the right of public performance of the work. So every time you hear a song played on the radio you have a set of copyright rights that are being lawfully exercised. The radio station is paying for public performance of the underlying musical composition, that is, the song as it was written. And every time you get a copy, a digital copy of a book, there are various copyright rights that have been involved, the right of reproduction, the right of distribution, in making that copy for you. Now, of course, we all know that publishers don't make Braille books. They make very few large type books, and they haven't been making until recently navigable audiobooks. So although the copyright system gives these exclusive rights to the authors and the publishers, the bottom line is they do not adequately exercise those rights in providing the kinds of materials that visually impaired people need. In 1996, the United States responded in our domestic law to this problem with an amendment of the Copyright Act called the Chafee Amendment. Now, the Chafee Amendment sets up a system where what we call authorized entities, which are organizations ranging from the National Library Service to wonderful organizations like Bookshare, can make, without the permission of the publisher, these special format copies, these accessible format copies of works, and distribute them to persons with print disabilities. In 1996, the U.S. was one of the first countries to do that. And in the next decade plus, a few dozen countries followed. So that by 2009, when I started working on this, there were 57 countries in the world that have exceptions in their copyright law of different sorts for persons with print disabilities. Now, 57 sounds like a big number, except that there are about 170 countries in the world. And if you think of those countries, 128 have exceptions in their copyright law for libraries. So in other words, less than half of the jurisdictions that bother to have exceptions in their copyright law for libraries 
have exceptions in their copyright law for the blind. Now, that's part of the problem, but for us, as we looked at this in the administration, we understood that there was a deeper basic structural problem. And the problem is access varies so much from country to country to materials. If you are a blind person who lives in Madrid and your language of cognition is Spanish, you have at least access to 30,000 titles, probably a much higher number, that are available through ONCE, Spain's very dynamic organization for the blind. But if you're that same person and you live in Panama City and your language of cognition is Spanish, you have about 200 books that are available to you. Obviously, if you are a print-disabled person in the United States and you're a student, there's a very good chance we're going to get, in special format copies for you, the textbooks you need. I'm not saying it's flawless, but we have a system in place to do that. If you're the 10th grader in Durban, South Africa, who also speaks English, you don't have that system. So what we realized is that there was a tremendous amount of inefficiency and a tremendous amount of inequity in the availability of accessible format copies. Not just inequity, but real efficiency problems. The number we banter around is typically there have been seven accessible format versions made of the first Harry Potter. Instead of making one and sharing it, different countries have had to make different versions. So we realized that there ought to be a way for countries to share these accessible format copies that are being prepared, sometimes with great cost. And the cost of preparing an accessible format copy varies completely. Bookshare, Jim Fruchterman, who's probably spoken to you before and was also a fantastic resource for us, says that if the publisher is a cooperative and they get a digital file, in order to make a fully accessible DAISY format, it's going to cost about $15. But if he has to take a high school textbook and actually tear it apart and scan it to make that DAISY format, it's going to cost about $400. Now, if the cost of producing an accessible format textbook is $400, you can imagine that that's going to happen in some rich countries, but it's not going to happen in an awful lot of countries around the world. So we realized that there was this problem, and in December 2009, the Obama administration at the World Intellectual Property Organization, we lovingly call WIPO, uh, when I'm in a bad mood I call it WIPO, um, <laughs> we went to WIPO and we said it, it was time for a change, that we needed to develop an international system that offered the prospect for better cross-border exchange of these accessible format copies to truly address what we recognized is really a book famine. And by June 2010, the United States had actually submitted a proposal at WIPO for a consensus instrument, we called it, which would build on the existing treaty structure. By late 2010, there were actually proposals on the table from Brazil along with Ecuador, Mexico, and Paraguay and the European Union and the Africa Group. So there were four distinct proposals on the table. At this point, I think that the blind were astonished to find themselves in the 
Alice in Wonderland experience of international intellectual property politics. Melanie and her colleagues from the NFB had come along with their WBU colleagues to the World Intellectual Property Organization thinking we're asking for something very small and very simple. And of course in intellectual property nothing is very small and nothing is very simple. So all of the intellectual property holders, I just don't mean the book publishers, I mean all of them, the music people, the film people, the people who make genetically modified seeds, all became very worried about what are we doing here. We are creating a proposal for an international system that would actually weaken, in their mind, intellectual property rights. So there was immediately a high level of activity and a high level of angst, and I don't want to tell you it's not legitimate among the IP intellectual property holders. Now, for the Obama administration and for any government that cares about jobs, that's a serious issue. A very significant part of the United States economy depends upon the protection of intellectual property. Patent law, trademark law, and copyright law are the legal foundation for what are now hundreds of thousands and hundreds of billions of dollars of economic activity in our country. So that is a real concern for us. And let me say also that levels of piracy of intellectual property are at enormously high levels. So that is a concern for any administration that is concerned about jobs and concerned about economic growth. On the other hand, it's very clear that there is no evidence at all that the blind community has ever been a source of piracy. So kind of balancing these two things... The patent holders and the copyright holders said, yes, of course, we think you should do something here, but it has to be very careful, and they were very afraid about a precedent. At the same time, in this debate, the blind organizations also found themselves working with civil society groups, but understanding sometimes very quickly that those civil society groups had broader agendas and were wanting to use the struggle for copyright exceptions for the blind as a proxy for other broader issues. And then finally, there was the very interesting dynamic of seeing the World Blind Union, the WBU leadership finding that they were coming and asking for something for the world's blind community, and developing countries were in effect saying to them, what do you know about our blind? What do you know about the needs of the blind in extremely poor countries? This very, very complex dynamic really took hold by early 2010. It really, really was very, very complicated, and Melanie used the word roller coaster, and I think that is completely right. But what had happened, at least, was that we had these different proposals on the table, And we really forged a successful working relationship with Brazil and Mexico and the European Union. And Brazil and Mexico and the European Union and the United States really took charge of trying to develop an integrated single proposal. And over time, the other Latin American countries joined us. Australia became very active. The Russian Federation even supported the effort. And we were slowly getting the participation of more and more African countries, which was always a difficult point. I won't hide from you the fact that in these negotiations, 
what was terribly, terribly difficult was bringing on board the 60 countries of what we call the Africa Group. This work struggled along, and we were meeting practically every three or four months for rounds of negotiations in 2011 and early 2012. And by April 2012, when President Rousseff of Brazil made a state visit to Washington, President Obama and President Rousseff jointly announced our country's mutual commitments to an effective international instrument to address the book famine. The negotiations continued on and on, and things were looking good, but I won't tell you great. And in December 2012, a decision was made to proceed to what is called a diplomatic conference. A diplomatic conference is officially the place where all countries come together to negotiate a treaty. In truth, the treaty ought to be negotiated ahead of time. You ought to just come and have a meeting to work out a few small issues and then finish the treaty. And in fact, last year we had done that in Beijing in 2012. We had finished the Audiovisual Performers Treaty. But I will tell you that that itself was a cautionary tale. Because in June 2012, we finished the Audiovisual Performers Treaty, and the work on that treaty had started in 1996. It had started in 1996, and they had believed they were going to be close to success, and they called a diplomatic conference in December 2000 in Geneva. I was a member of the U.S. delegation at that time, a, a junior member who really did not know what was going on, and it failed. Everyone walked away from that diplomatic conference of two weeks with no agreement. So that was a real cautionary tale for us. But nonetheless, in December 2012, the United States and other countries, we all agreed to hold a diplomatic conference. In diplomatic parlance, we just call it a dipcon. <laughs> right? I know that. It, look, you know, government officials have to do something to make themselves feel cool. The dipcon... Uh, was agreed to be held in 2013. And then there's this question of where. And the default is you hold the DIPCON in Geneva, but you always look for someone who's willing to host it. And there were a few countries that kind of sounded out they might want to host it. But ultimately, the government of the Kingdom of Morocco came forward with an extremely gracious offer, and we decided that the diplomatic conference would be held in Marrakesh. And we really didn't know how it would proceed because even though we had done tremendous work on the treaty text, there were some huge outstanding issues. We had basically an agreement that we would have a system that countries that joined the treaty would commit themselves to have exceptions in their copyright law to make works more accessible to the blind. And that one way they could do that is to follow the United States with a system of authorized entities that would provide books to persons with print disabilities. And then the treaty also said we should also establish a system to ensure that there is cross-border exchange of accessible format copies. So any country that joins the treaty commits themselves to that, and they can do that through authorized entities exchanging books with each other so that Bookshare could send books to the Royal Institute for the Blind in Canada, and you could have just a various exchanges among authorized entities. Now, we all know 
that authorized entities serving the visually impaired vary tremendously in size and activities. So that was a much debated issue, but the idea was basic that what we would try to establish would be a system where authorized entities could exchange with each other. So the basic contours of the agreement were in place as we went into Marrakesh, but there were some absolutely huge outstanding issues. One of those outstanding issues was commercial availability. The United States does not have any commercial availability requirement in our law, but many countries do. Australia, Canada, Singapore, Japan, three countries in the European Union all have some form of commercial availability as a measure for whether or not the copyright exception should be exercised. Now, let me give you an example of what I mean by that because I think the Japanese law is very interesting. The Japanese law says when it comes to preparing a Braille copy, no, there's no commercial availability requirement. You can just make a Braille copy any type you want. And that makes sense because publishers don't make Braille books. On the other hand, Japanese law says if you're going to prepare a navigable audiobook for a visually impaired person, you need to determine whether the market is providing on its own an adequately navigable audiobook. So that's an example of a commercial availability standard. And one question that was open as we went into Marrakesh was whether such a standard would be mandated, particularly for cross-border exchange. We also had a really huge outstanding issue about what are called technological protection measures, digital locks on books. This was enormously important for the copyright holders because technological protection measures are a very important means of making marketable different types of works. This is not so much about e-books as it is about audio works, sound recordings, and about AV works. And then we had some other kind of metaphysical issues that were extremely frustrating to the blind experts who were participating with us because they were getting this bath of information about copyright law and doctrine that they never thought they'd have to endure in life. So there were some huge outstanding issues about how this system of exceptions and limitations for the blind would interact with some basic principles of copyright law. And then finally, an issue you can completely understand is it was agreed that authorized entities could exchange special format copies with authorized entities across borders, but we had not agreed whether we would permit what would be called direct distribution to a blind person across a border, whether Bookshare in the United States would be able to directly serve blind people in Belize and South Africa and Malaysia. So we started the diplomatic conference with these huge issues, and we started on the problem of commercial availability. And to make a long story short, it went really badly. Uh, And of course, the Moroccan hosts were extremely nervous because here they are hosting this. They don't want a big failure. And the president of the diplomatic conference was a member of the Moroccan government, the Minister of Communications. And so he called me into his office the fourth day and said, well, what can I do to help try to save this? And I said to him, Mr. Minister, my recommendation is close the airports. (laughs) If you close the airports, you will focus everyone's minds on reaching consensus very quickly. 
He did threaten to do that. I meant that as a joke. But he then went out and said in a speech that he had been recommended by one of the lead delegates to close the airports. I don't necessarily think that that caused an improvement in the atmosphere. But um, we were able, as we pushed onward, to reach a tentative agreement on commercial availability. And we were able to press forward on the other issues. And it became very clear by about the 10th day we were going to succeed. And everyone was feeling great. And we did succeed on this. And I do think uh, we have a very balanced treaty that does hold the prospect of significantly and enormously increasing access to published works for persons who are blind around the planet. One thing I want to be honest with you about is that the United States did not sign the treaty. 150 countries came to the diplomatic conference and only 50 signed the treaty. In order to sign the treaty, you have to have in diplomatic speak what is called full powers. And only a third of the delegations came with full powers. We are now working internally on establishing full powers. This means that the Secretary of State, Secretary Kerry, will have to sign off on the United States signing this treaty. All of us in the administration are confident that will happen, but that's something that in the next year we will be doing. Once that happens, of course, domestically for the United States, we have the challenge of ratification in front of the U.S. Senate. Ratification in front of the U.S. Senate is something we will have to work very diligently on. Many of you know that last year the Senate turned back the Obama administration's efforts to ratify the U.N. Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. That was a terrible disappointment for President Obama and for the administration, but that tells you the difficulties we will face in taking this treaty up to the Senate. Once that happens, and once there's ratification in a lot of countries, we need to be honest that it's a treaty. It's a piece of paper. And it's only going to be a meaningful system 10, 15, 20 years from now if there's a lot of capacity building on authorized entities and a lot of training and a lot of legal work is done to explain to authorized entities how they exchange accessible format copies with each other. That can be done. And I think this administration is committed that it will be done. But when we gave our closing statement in Marrakesh, we said, look, folks, this isn't the end of the road. This is the beginning of a new chapter that's going to require enormous amounts of work. And I know, speaking to a group like you, I don't need to read that book to you. You know that book. Everything that is an achievement you have done for the lives of persons with disabilities and lives of people who are blind is just the platform for more struggles to come. We understand that completely. I hope that 10 or 15 years from now, we're going to see that we, in Marrakesh, did produce a miracle that will significantly increase access to printed works for the blind. But we got a lot of work to do to make that happen. Thanks. Justin Hughes, head of the U.S. delegation to the World Intellectual Property Organization Conference, was recorded in Columbus, Ohio, in July of this year. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. 
Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.